Well, we are in the middle of a series while everyone's gathered around the coffee station. We're very chilled here, so if you want to get off and have a coffee at any point, please do. Um, But we're in the middle of a series um, that I've called Embrace the Space. Embrace the Space. And it's around the big idea. Hopefully there's a power... There we go. There's a PowerPoint coming up. It's around the idea of um, the the kingdom of God and, and who God is and where God is isn't as far away as we think it might be. That it's closer than we think. And it's, it's uh, in fact, I did two diagrams on my first week, if you remember. That so often we look at our, our journey towards God as we're here and God's there. I'm just going to do a re- quick recap. If you've been here every week, well done, brownie points. But for those that haven't, we're here and we so often want to be over there. And over there is where God is. Over there is where you know, we're meant to be. And it's the destination. Like, if I could just get there, then I am a disciple Behold, I have become a disciple and everything makes sense. And we call that that bit discipleship, getting from here to there. But so often that bit is full of mess and confusion and it's two steps forward and one step back. And we're never as far along in that journey as we would like to be. Is that the truth? And I want to suggest that actually the biblical view of discipleship actually is more like this. That there where God is, is close and is present and there's a bit in the middle where they cross over and actually our discipleship is about making that space increasingly more frequent. That we see God breaking into the here and now with increasing frequency. And so we're going to do a series, I don't know how long this series is going to be, but we're exploring what it is to look and live and be like Jesus because that's essentially what discipleship means discipleship is a Greek word mathetus that just means learner and it's about learning to be like Jesus and learning to do what Jesus could do and that can either push God further and further away because it's like I'm never ever going to get there I'm never going to be like that or it draws him closer and closer because we realize that the moments that we're living in are moments where God's kingdom can break in and shape us So last week we looked at um, Mark, well the last two weeks we've looked at Mark 1, 14 and 15. First words of Jesus ever recorded in the first gospel ever written in Mark. And it says, the kingdom of God is near. And we looked at that that not being a, a near in the sense of time, but it's near in the sense of space. It's close. It's just there within reach. And he says, repent and believe the good news. So we looked last week at what repentance and believing means. That repentance isn't this one decision you made 24 years ago or 24 hours ago, but it's a daily decision to embrace moments when we actually want to run and hide, when suddenly a reaction to somebody and we're like, oh, I didn't know I was going to react like that when they came through the room. Or I didn't know that attitude was in there. There's a moment where we can step into that and embrace the space and seek repentance. And we looked at belief belief being this thing of substance that it isn't just a pie in the sky wishful thinking but it has action and it's grounded in reality so our faith if you want to without me preaching those sermons you can go back and listen to those we have in a nutshell which Lorraine who's not here this week but she's been producing in a nutshell uh, you can sign up to the email of that uh, on the connect point and it basically summarizes the talk uh, for you if you are not able to listen online but if you've got a bible we are going to be in Luke 15. Luke 15, one of my favorite chapters in the whole of the Bible. Luke 15, for those who know it well, uh, you kind of think you might have it sorted. But uh, there's some Bibles over in the Connect Point over there if you want one. Or otherwise, we've got it it's up there on the big screen already, the big Bible in the sky. So um, we've got this passage. I'm just going to read these first three verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear him. 
I could preach a whole message just on that. Isn't that an amazing verse? The tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And Jesus goes on and tells this one parable. People think it's three parables, but it is one parable in three parts. And it's these parab- this one parable of a shepherd with his hundred sheep and a woman with her ten coins and then a father with his two sons. And this week we're going to look at the first two parts of that one parable, the, the, the shepherd and his sheep and the woman and her coin. And then in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to hopefully get to look at the father with his two sons. But can I pray? Is that okay as we start? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Oh, we thank you that truth is not some substance. Truth is not something we have to try and uh, grapple with. And, uh, and, and you know, the, the word of last year was post-truth. Lord, we thank you that we don't live in a post-truth world, but we have truth in all of its fullness through your word. And Lord, we ask right now that your truth would speak into our lives. Lord, that our hearts would be open, our ears would be open. Lord, I pray you'd use something of what I say this morning, Lord. Let everything else that's not of you just be washed away. But what is of you, let that remain. And let us be changed to become more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm only 32. I know I look younger, but I am only 30. I'm 33 in a few couple of months' time. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Presents will be welcomely received. Um, 10th of March. Don't put it in your diary. Put your, put your phone away. Don't put it in your diary. 10th, we share a birthday, actually, don't we? So you're never going to forget. 10th of March. <laughs> oh, it's the Bible. Okay. thought it was Facebook. Um, 10th of March. If you want to get me any presents, that's fine. That's the Lord. Let the Lord prompt you. Um, but I remember growing up, and um, I remember always being, or want, I don't know if you were like this, always wanting to be in the next stage of life. So when you're kind of seven, eight, nine, you always wanted to be 10, because when you get to be 10, it's like double digits. Fantastic, I'm going to be 10. But then when you were 10, I wanted to be 13, because then I'm a teenager, and you know my parents will listen to me more, and I'll be able to do more stuff because I'm a teenager. And then when you got to 13, it didn't quite work out like that. So it's like, well, now I just need to be 16. If I could just be 16, the law says I can do loads of stuff. So it's just life's going to be so much easier when I'm 16. But then exams raise their ugly head. And you, I stopped thinking in terms of age. You know, when I'm 17, I'll be able to drive. When I'm 18, I'm an adult. Life's going to be perfect. But then I started flicking to stages of life. Then if you're the same, but you just thought, you know, when I get married, life's going to be so much easier. And then when I got married, um, my wife's not into it, all right. Um, when I got married, you just think, kids. Now I've got to confuse my life even more by having kids. So I have kids, and as I stand here this morning, do you know what? Retirement is looking really appealing. I am looking forward to retirement. Like You, you know, some people work into retirement. I, just, I want to put my feet up. I, I'm going to embrace the daytime TV. Um, uh, we just always want to be in that next part of life. And I see it with my daughter, Bella. She's three and a third, maybe going on like 23 and a third. She's got a real attitude problem, so if you can pray for her. Um, no, I'm only joking. She's lovely. She's not. Um, and, but she always wants to be more grown up than she really is. I'm going to make you laugh this morning, okay? Because just, I just feel like we need a giggle this morning. Is that okay? So, you know, that's fine. Uh, by the end of the service, hopefully you will be laughing because that's part of the talk. Um, but my daughter always wants to be at the next stage of life. Um, so uh, she, she wants to be more grown up than she actually is. So we have to remind ourselves to treat her like a three-year-old because she acts like a 23-year-old. But we've got this. I don't know if you've had it with anyone that's got kids in their family. We have like a measuring wall. So the door frame of her bedroom, we mark off how she's growing. 
and we've not done it for ages. And so part of Bella's delaying tactics before going to bed was she walked past a door frame and saw the door frame this week and said, measure me, you need to measure me. Anything to not go to bed, please, can you measure me? So I'm like, oh, okay, well, we haven't done it for ages, so let me measure you. And I was amazed. We haven't measured her for a good, like, six months. I could have said that she hadn't grown at all. She's grown, like, two or three inches, and I hadn't noticed. Hadn't noticed at all that she had been growing. Maybe she hadn't been growing in the areas that I thought she should be growing, but still she'd been growing. See, I look at her and think, you still don't do what we ask you. You still don't sit down at the table normally and eat your dinner. You know, signs that you're kind of maturing and growing. So I'm thinking, you're not growing up at all. You're still this little three-year-old and you're not as mature as we think you are because of how you want to be treated. But actually, you are growing. There's three inches there of growth that I didn't even notice. See, maybe her growth in certain areas isn't all I would like it to be, but she is still growing. And so as I measured her off on that door frame, we celebrated her growth and we rejoiced in the fact that she is growing. I find it fascinating as we read Luke 15. We have these two groups of people. Okay, we've got two groups of people. The first is the tax collectors and sinners who were drawing near to Jesus. Notice that they're drawing near to Jesus. And then we've got these religious tribe of Pharisees and scribes, the very ones who thought they were fully grown. The fully ones, the ones that thought they'd fully made it, they understood everything. And where are they stood? Grumbling. Grumbling at who was getting close to Jesus. So we have one group that's not known for their spiritual growth. In fact, they're known for their lack of spiritual growth. They get called sinners. Tax collectors and sinners. They're so devoid of growth, we label them negatively. They're the sinners. But in fact, they're the ones that are close to Jesus. They're the ones that we actually see some growth. And the ones who outwardly look like they've got this discipleship thing sorted, like they are fully grown, they're slowly drifting further and further and further away from the space that Jesus is occupying. See, we can embrace the space. We can be in that space. But are we seeing it with greater frequency impacting our life? Or are we seeing it with less frequency? Because you see, these religious leaders, they're grumbling because the space that Jesus was occupying didn't look like they thought it should look. So often growth doesn't look like we expect it to. When I started this series, I said, as we look at embracing the space, allow it to change our paradigms and our perspectives, allow it to shift our worldview. Because God doesn't vote for the party that you've always voted for all your life. Your opinion, God doesn't necessarily share on absolutely everything. And for the religious leaders here, their view of what the space that Jesus occupies should look like didn't match up with the reality of who they, who, who he was gathering around him. You see, what had happened was these religious leaders, they, they created a whole class system based around the kind of person you were. So if you were this type of person, if you were ultimately a Jewish male, quiz in, God, God, you're, you're on God's side. He's going to embrace you. He is, you are the chosen people. He loves you. You are there. You are fully grown. But if you're not that, in fact, if you've got a certain type of job, I'm sorry, you're not, you're not even welcome in this space. So the prostitutes, the shepherds, the tax collectors, 
See, the tax collectors, they were disliked because, well, they were the Jews that were working for the, the Gentiles, the Romans, and they mixed with the Romans, which some would have thought, you're mixing with Gentiles, that's unclean. But they also took the money off the Jews more than they owed because Herod and, and the Romans said, well, you tax the people whatever you want. Make sure we've got what is owed to us, but everything else you keep. So they were defrauding their own people. So tax collectors, I'm sorry, you're not welcome here. These religious leaders, they didn't just decide on who was in and who was out because of your job. But if you were a woman, there's some texts that have been found to say that for a woman, you were half the value of a man. Half the value of a man. You were of lesser value to God because of who you are or what you do. You're hopelessly irreligious. You're out of touch with the demands that God has made through the law. See, the religious leaders had turned their responsibility that they were the chosen people of God, that God called the, the Jewish people and said, now you're going to be a, a through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed, is what he said to them. And he said, that is a responsibility for you. But instead they made it a privilege. Well, there's a challenge, isn't it? The responsibility that God gives us and we can shift it to become a privilege. And the religious leaders saw those who were drawing near to Jesus and they couldn't handle it because they didn't fit in with this privileged position rather than it being a responsibility to reach all people. And so they grumble. This man, he's gathering sinners around himself and he's eating with them. You see, to eat with someone means you fully accept them. You relate to them on the same level. It's like saying, you know, for us now, it's just a nice community thing to do. But actually to eat with someone in that day was to say, you are my family. We are one. And Jesus is gathering these people around him and he's eating with them. He's calling them his family. Church, understand this. If you want to live your life in a way that embraces the space where the kingdom of God breaks into the here and now with greater frequency, that space looks a lot different than you might think. It looks a lot different than you might expect it to look like. Because this space is not a space where those who have it all together reside. Oh, we're so good at looking like we've got it all together. We're so good at looking like we understand it all. That space is not about the religious leaders, not about what the religious leaders made it in his day. Because you see, they made it about the starting point being the standard. You've got to be a certain type of person to be able to get into that space. For God to accept you, here's the standard, now you've got to reach it. Church, let's never be a church that raises the bar so high that people struggle to even reach it. Let us not be a church that say, this is the standard. You've got to start here. Because if you've been around Christianity long enough, you've heard all the buzz phrases. You've probably heard the discipleship buzz phrase, which is a lovely alliteration, which must mean it's from God because it all starts with the same letter. But you've got believe, belong, behave. Have you ever heard that one? You know, as if you're on a discipleship journey, you believe, then you belong, then you behave. The trouble is that for the religious leaders in their day, believe was the starting point. Sorry, behave, sorry, was the starting point. You've got to behave first. If you behave in a certain way, if you are a certain person, then you are on the right journey. So often for the church, we say, well, it's belief. You've got to be you know, you, you, you believe. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you believe and, and you're in. Church, can I say that so often, and this is why I think the people that were gathering around Jesus were gathering around him. Why the space started to look like it did around Jesus was not because those people necessarily believed that he was the sinless son of the, uh, and the savior of the world. Certainly wasn't that their behavior was what it should have been. 
I mean, they're labeled as tax collectors and sinners. I wonder if it's because they'd found somewhere they belonged. That they found a space where they were loved, accepted, and they belonged. And then out of that, perhaps they started to believe. Maybe this guy is who he says he is. And as they started to embrace him as who he said he was, then out of the overflow of that, maybe their behavior started to change. It's because they'd found somewhere they could enter in and love, be loved and accepted because Jesus came and said, I welcome the whosoever. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, sent, Jesus welcomes the whosoever. Do you know you're the whosoever? You're the whosoever. Oh, uh, I'm not sure about that. Whosoever looks like the person next to me, because I know how they behave. Or whosoever looks like the guy that sits on the street or the woman who gets some money the morning after the night before. They're the whosoever. Church, we're the whosoever. We are the whosoever who have been embraced by his space that we choose to draw near and we choose to accept because of what Jesus has come, what Jesus has done, he accepts the whosoever. Let's never lose sight of the fact that we are the whosoever because when we lose sight of that, we start to look at the ones we think are the whosoever, high and mighty looking down going, you've got a long way to come. But if we're reminded that we're all the whosoever, we're all on the same level, we cheer each other on, we encourage each other to embrace the space. I think that's more what the kingdom of God looks like. And for those whosoever's that receive this kind of love, shouldn't we also share that kind of love? Those that have been recipients, shouldn't we also be dispensers of that kind of love? Freely you've received, freely give. You may not feel like you're growing as fast as others in this place started this talk talking about Bella growing and her growing in other areas. You may not have all the scriptures nailed down. You may not have memorized the book of Leviticus. You may not know the intricacies of the Old Testament tabernacle. If you do, well done. You probably know more about it than your pastor. You may not have all that stuff nailed down. But you know what it is to be a whosoever that's been received into the kingdom. You know what it is. If you follow Jesus this morning, you know what it is to be lost and to be found. I want to encourage you, your growth might just be found embracing the space and sharing that which you've received. And out of that, God might start doing other stuff in your life. Oh, but John, you don't, you, you, we need to be careful about who those we, we show love to because surely if we show love to, to those people, then it doesn't it mean we accept their behavior. For some that were here a few weeks ago, we had a homeless guy that came in and he caused big trouble. And it's been a, this, this talk actually has been a pull on my heart. If you want a title for this morning's message, it's Pursued to Pursue. Pursued to Pursue. And as that homeless guy caused some trouble in the church, really, we've got little kids running around and he is using language that really little kids should not be hearing. Adults shouldn't be hearing, really. But, uh, and he, he, he was really kicking off. And I had to say, look, I, God, I need to protect this space. I need to protect the kids here. So I had to ask him to leave. We gave him a cup of coffee and I asked him to leave. But God has been challenging me saying, you can protect a space, but you can still pursue them. Just because you're saying this space isn't right for you right now because of how you're behaving, it doesn't mean we cannot be a people that pursue them. And so God's been challenging me 
to say just because we pursue someone, it doesn't mean we're accepting their choice of behavior. As we work through these next three parables over these next few weeks, you'll notice that in every single one of them is a journey, that something is lost, something is found, and then there's a party. But in the midst of it, in both the two that we're going to look at today, the word repentance is seen. And actually we see with the son, for those that know this story really well, the son comes back and, and, and there's change of action. And he says, I need to change the way I live. So God isn't saying we don't need to repent. We don't need to say, do you know what? I've messed up and I need to say I'm sorry. Us accepting and loving people does not mean we accept their behavior and don't expect them to say sorry to God. But it's saying, do you know what? This space is a space where God still embraces you and God still loves you. So then Jesus talks. I said I could do a whole sermon on just those three and I nearly have done. We're going to move on. Jesus goes on to tell this story of a shepherd. If we just move on. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. So we have this shepherd one of those people that has one of those jobs that religious leaders didn't like. They were shepherds were the lowest end of the scale. We don't accept shepherds. So he's instantly challenging their worldview. He's saying, I'm going to use somebody that doesn't fit with what you think they should fit. And the shepherd has a hundred sheep and he's lost one. Let's just press the pause button there. He's lost one sheep. He's still got 99. If you had 99 quid, sorry, if, if I had 99 quid and you had a hundred quid, I'm not quibbling. It's virtually the same. You know, for the sake of a pound, I am not going to fret. But this guy makes the costly decision to leave that which is the most valuable and pursue the one. He makes that costly decision. I don't know if you've ever tried to count sheep. They tend not to stand still. We've got a field at the end of our road go on a run and last yesterday morning I went on a run and I thought I'm just going to stop for a minute I'm just going to try and count some sheep there's little lambs bouncing around and I couldn't count the sheep because they tend to wander so I'm like going one two miss a few 99 it's around a hundred but he knows his sheep the shepherd knows and knows one of them is missing so he makes this costly decision to say do you know what I will leave the 99 I'm going to go after the one apparently in the kingdom in this space that we're called to embrace the one has value Apparently, the one is worth leaving those 99 to say, I'm going to pursue that one. It would appear that one is really important in the kingdom of God. Oh, we're really good at numbers, aren't we? Let me speak to my own kind for a minute. Church pastors, you know, we love numbers. I have to submit each week the numbers of people. And I'm like, I want to write in, in the column there. You're meant to write how many adults you've got. I'm just going to put loads of people who are sick this week. Loads of people were away. We even had some people doing ministry because, God, you called us to. You know, so I'm tempted to want to write that because we love our numbers. This week I told 300 people about Jesus. Oh, helped 44 grannies across the road. Only two of them wanted to go, but I still helped them. We love the numbers, don't we? We love to base everything on the numbers. The numbers are big, big means God's doing great stuff. But what about the one that wanted to tell you why they felt God could never love them because of all that they've done? What about the one who needed you to stop with all the right answers and just needed you to sit and cry with them? Apparently one is important as we embrace the space. 
Are you willing to make the costly decision in the pursuit of the one? Are you willing to go beyond yourself and pursue the one just like God has pursued you? That homeless guy that came in, I said, God's been challenging me this week to pursue the one. The one that doesn't fit neatly in this space because we have to protect our children and everything else that's going on. But God's been saying, are you still going to pursue the one? Oh, Lord, show us who that one is. Maybe he's already showing you who that one is that you can pursue. Because chances are it's the one you're already with. It's the one that's right alongside you. The one that you've not even noticed. Imagine what could happen if we ask God, if we can bring his kingdom into the one that we're living with, the one that we're working with, the one that we go to coffee with. Suddenly, where we live not becomes about doesn't become about social status and instead it comes becomes about kingdom business your job is less about self-contentment and it's more about a kingdom investment because you're not working in that job you're not living in that place just because it makes me look good and brings all the money in which is really helpful but actually it's about which one person can I pursue for the kingdom in this moment right now it transforms the reason God's placed you where he's placed you and you've got the job that you've got We are pursued to pursue. And the challenge of this parable, just as we've seen with the shepherd, is to make the costly decision. And Jesus goes on and talks about this woman. And we have a woman. Not only have we got a shepherd who is the bottom end of the social scale, now we've got a woman. Half the value of a man these religious leaders would hold to. And not only is Jesus using them as examples in parables, he's actually likening them to the father. Because the shepherd... Is like the father who will pursue the one. And this woman is like the father. See how scandalous this is to the religious? A shepherd and a woman? But Jesus says the space that I'm calling you to embrace doesn't look like you expect it to. So he goes on and he tells about this woman. Let's move on to the next Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. So we have this woman with 10 silver coins, possibly this woman's life savings, possibly her dowry. We don't know, but we can safely assume that by her actions, losing one of these coins is a financial and a personal disaster. The text says she seeks diligently. She lights a lamp. Now the hearers of the day would have known that was probably some small little lamp that she'd have been on all fours looking around for this coin. Cara and I lost a set of keys the other day. We were going out, we were meeting up with our godson and his family and we went out for a meal at a pub and um, I hastened to add Thankfully, I'd picked up, the, for some reason, picked up the spare set of keys to drive, and Cara had the other set, and Cara went out to the car with the spare set, and, and, and then we couldn't find it when we came to, to leave. We hunted that pub like crazy to find that set of keys. I got a, 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 a torch on my phone. I'm down on all fours, looking around for these lost keys. We've got to find them. We've got to find it. You know, we can't get home. Thankfully, we got the other set of keys, so we were able to get home. Thank you for worrying. I can see it on your face. You were deeply concerned that we didn't get home. But we then even left our number with the manager behind the bar and said, look, if you find these keys, because keys are expensive to replace, aren't they? Anyone ever broken a car key? They're expensive to replace. So we're like, rather not have to spend that if we find the key. You see, when you've lost something that has value, you seek it diligently. If it doesn't have value, do you know what? If I lost a coin in my house and I knew that's where I'd lost it, well, 
I'll find it when I come across it. Got, you know, got another pound coin in my wallet. It's not a major problem. Bella will probably find it and put it in a piggy bank anyway. But if something has value, we seek and pursue it. We hunted everywhere for that key. Thankfully, in the evening, they called us and they said they'd found that key. So we went and collected it. But you see, we put value on something. And when we lose that which is of value, we will hunt for that thing until we find it. The woman searches her house diligently with a lamp. But then what else? She lights a lamp. and she, You can imagine she's searching. She can't find it. So she then starts to sweep. I find that fascinating that not only looking, but now she is listening. She's sweeping, trying to hear the sound of metal against rock. Trying to hear the sound of lostness church the challenge are we making the costly decision of the, over the pursuit of the one but also are we listening for the sound of lostness we're not just saying God bring people into our church and when they come we're going to be such good Christians and embrace them and love them even though they're, they're not part of our social standard they're not, they don't fit with our mould their families don't look like our but we're going to love them and embrace them it's not just about that are we sweeping seeking listening for lostness, pursuing lostness, saying, do you know what? It's not okay that there are people that are lost. For me to embrace the space isn't okay for me just to come to church each week and say, God, I'm going to love those that you bring in. I'm going to live my life listening for lostness. See, the challenge of these parables to the church today is what do we have to do in the visible and public world to make people ask the sort of questions that these parables are seeking to answer. We need to live in a certain way that people say, why would you do that for me? Because you know what? All I am is someone who's embraced my lostness, if there is such a word. All I am is somebody that said, you know what? I acknowledge I'm just as lost, but now I'm found. And therefore, I have to pursue you because I have been pursued. I have to pursue. To embrace the space means I have to pursue you because God has pursued me. Why would you love me like that when I've totally ignored what you've said and I've even wandered away and shown that I don't agree with you, yet you still love me? See, there's nothing particularly special about that sheep or coin. Nothing unique. There were another 99 sheep sat back in the field and there were another nine coins that this lady has. The only thing that's unique about them is their lostness. It's the only thing. So to embrace this space means we are so consumed with the pursuer. We have seen what it is to be lost. We've encountered what it is to be found. Church begins to give us a little glimpse of what the space looks like that we're called to embrace. And I'm coming into land with this. But you notice in verse 10, Jesus ends this second part of the three. He says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. See, I said that each of these stories has a pattern. And we'll look at the lost, uh, the, the two sons in a couple of weeks' time. But we have um, this story of, of something is lost, then that thing is found or it returns. And then, do you see what happens at the end of each one? 
we have with the, 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 the son in a few weeks' time. The father says, bring out, bring out the filet mignon. Bring out that, that calf we've been fattening up. We are going to have a party. And we see with the shepherd, he says, and, and, the, and the woman for that, for that, uh, for that moment, she, she says, bring in the neighbours. Bring in our friends. We need to have a party. That which was lost is now found. See what happens? They have a party. Have a party. Do you notice here it says, so just I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God in heaven over one sinner who repents. Where's the joy? It's before the angels. Before the angels. So the angels are observing this joy. Who's the one that's full of joy? The Father. The Father is throwing a party every single time. Lostness is embraced and they are found. One writer says about Luke 15 that this is the chapter of the happy God. Do you know the happy God this morning? Do you know the God who is rejoicing? I said last week I think some of us need to embrace the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. This week I think some of us need to be able to embrace the spiritual discipline that is celebration. Spiritual discipline, celebration, spiritual disciplines are hard. Celebration sounds easy great writer on spiritual disciplines, a guy called um, uh, Richard Foster, he says this of celebration. He says, celebration is central to all the spiritual disciplines. Without a joyful spirit of festivity, the disciplines become dull, death-breathing tools in the hands of modern-day Pharisees. Whoa. If we do not have celebration central to who we are, then everything else just becomes dull and meaningless and a religious task. Church, we're called to embrace the space. Do you know what? That space has celebration and joy at the center of it. For us to allow that the there of the kingdom of God to break into the here with more frequency, we need to be a people that celebrate. We need to be a people that rejoice because God is. Ian, will you come up? We're going we're gonna to celebrate for about 10 minutes. We're about 10 minutes from when we're going to finish and, and we're going to celebrate and we're going to rejoice all that God is doing. In fact, next week, we're going to have a party. Is that okay? Thank you. One, one person's up for a party. We're going to have a party next week. Because do you know, for those uh, nine people that helped a year ago uh, us move into the arts house, uh, we, we've been here a year. Next Sunday is a year, the end of January, where we moved into the arts house. And so we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate some of the guys that uh, have joined us since then. They're going to come and share stories just about what God has done in and through them, through using this church. And uh, we're going to celebrate communion together. We're just going to have a party next week as we celebrate all that God is doing. Because we need to bring in a rhythm of celebration into our lives. Because God is a God who is celebrating. No matter what the circumstance. Because you see, celebration, what it does is it gives us perspective. It allows us to laugh at ourselves, but it also shows us what God is doing. It puts things back into perspective. When we are celebrating, the high and the mighty are brought low, and the low and the, and the struggling are brought up. The powerful and the powerless are equal because we celebrate and rejoice together. I was reading, just as Ian starts to play, we, I, I was reading um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's a good spiritual thing to be reading, isn't it? The Westminster, that would suggest there is a longer catechism, which I didn't look at. But the Westminster Shorter Catechism is just this, this, this way of, uh, that they used of teaching people the foundational stuff of faith. So they would ask a question and then the people would respond. There's one question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. 
that says, what is the chief end of man? Man, there's a question to be asking, isn't there? What's the chief end of man? Do you know what it says? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Do you enjoy God? When was the last time you just said, God, I'm just going to celebrate. I'm just going to rejoice because you're the happy God who celebrates foundness. And there are countless people around the world that are finding him. Not that they were lost. Sorry, not that he was lost. They're finding their foundness in him. And the challenge for us, church, is to be people that have been pursued, therefore we pursue. And we're going to celebrate celebrate all that he's doing. Is that okay? Don't be too enthusiastic about celebration. You know, celebration is best done quietly and reserved. Guys, come on, let's stand together. Maybe stood there this morning and I've been talking about lostness and foundness. Just a moment of honesty and reality as we stand before God. You might not say, I, I need to acknowledge my lostness. I need to embrace the foundness that is found in Jesus. Maybe you felt like that coin for just too long. Maybe you felt like that sheep for just a few too many days can I tell you God has been seeking you out he's been pursuing you he's been sweeping listening for the sound of lostness and I believe that's why you found yourself in this place this morning so if this morning for the first time or the hundredth time you need to come back to him and embrace your lostness and seek foundness in him as every eye is closed as every head is bowed I'm just going to do something really simple and I want to ask as I count to three, you just raise your hand when I get to three if this is something you need to respond to this morning. You feel like that coin hidden in the darkness of the corner and you need to come out and say, I need to embrace being found. So just ask, you raise your hand. One, God loves you. Two, he's pursuing you. Three, will you just raise your hand? Amen. 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 You put your hands straight back down. God, I thank you so much, Father, that when we respond to you, your word says as we draw near to you, you'll draw nearing to draw near to us. Lord, this morning is outward expression of what's going on in our heart. We have drawn near to you. Lord, I thank you for those that have responded. Lord, for those that have leaned into you in this moment. Lord, I thank you as we draw near to you. What we find is the happy God. What we find is a loving God. What we find is grace, forgiveness. Lord, we declare you as Lord of our lives. If that's you this morning and you declare him Lord of your life, whether you've just responded or not, I just invite you to just raise your hands in the air. If you're at a place that can say, I embrace you as Lord of my life. Just raise your hands in the air.
For those that have just responded, know that he has pursued you to this place. For those that don't need this moment to respond, we raise our hands as a reminder to ourselves, Lord of my life. But I pray you wash over each one of us, sweep over each one of us. Give us a heart that can celebrate foundness in you. Thank you that no matter how many times we find ourselves in that lost place, there is always foundness in you. So Holy Spirit, you just fill us up. Fill us with your presence. And for those this morning, if that's been a, a significant decision for you, maybe it's been the first time decision for you, maybe it's a significant recommitment for you, then please come and speak to me at the end. Uh, I'd love to, love to pray with you, love to connect with you. If you need prayer this morning, Ian's just going to close with one song uh, and we're going to draw things to a, a close here and you can grab tea and coffee. I noticed that we've got birthday cake. It was Joseph Fat's birthday this week. So happy birthday. 23? 23. Just about 23. Six, 17, 16? 16. Big 16. So you've got birthday cake we can enjoy together. But if you need some prayer just while we close the service, please pray for healing, whether it's a specific touch of God you need on your life, whether it's just someone to stand with you then uh, we've got guys that would love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. So please just over by the piano here and we'll pray with you. But Ian's just going to close with a song and then there's tea and coffee and we can just enjoy each other. Is that okay? But know this, as we leave this place, we were once lost and now found. He is pursuing you and has pursued you. And with the same love that has consumed us, Let's embrace the space. Let's be a church that can celebrate and rejoice our foundness in Him. So I just pray a blessing over each one of us. Lord, that we would know what it is to be securely found in You. And out of the overflow of that, help us to embrace the space. Help us to seek the one. Help us to be a people that sweep listening for the sound of lostness consume us so much with your presence we can't help but let that presence seep into the lives of others for your glory Amen